Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Anchor. For a long time, I thought about starting a podcast, but I kept putting it off because I tend to be pretty busy and I thought it would take a lot of time and effort to get started. But that's because I didn't know about Anchor. Anchor is free and doesn't require expensive recording and editing software. It makes it easy to get sponsorships and start earning money. And it distributes your podcast for you to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and just about every major podcasting platform. If you've had a show in your head, it's time to get it out there. Download the free app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor.fm. So go ahead and get started today. Hello and welcome to Mythic Mind, where we pursue wisdom in the past between primary and secondary worlds. I'm your host, Andrew Snyder, and I am always grateful for your company. This episode will involve a couple of firsts for me. This will be my first recorded episode with a live guest, and also with a video component. And so if you're listening to this through your podcast feed, know that you can also find it over on YouTube. Um, But before we continue, I want to thank each of my patrons for your support. And so many thanks to Joe, Aaron, Mark, Ida, William, Jocelyn, Lynn, Art, Other Aaron, Emmy, Ian, Laura, Tony, Barbara, Stash, Paul, Matthew, Don, Clinton, Jamie, Andrew, Harrison, and Patrick. Uh, this is a great community that continues to get bigger and better, and I couldn't keep it up without you. And uh, the more support that I receive, the more time that I can commit to improving quality and quantity of content, including with more collaborations with great guests. And if you join at the Super Patron tier or higher, you'll gain access to all of my exclusive content, including my series on Grimm's Fairy Tales. Um, you'll get early content of Mythic Mind, uh, as some of you on Patreon may know if you're currently listening to this long before the public release date. And you'll also receive full access to my weekly Substack, uh, summarizing and reflecting on Tolkien's letters. And so go ahead and head over to patreon.com slash andrewinsnyder to show your support and to get access to everything that this community has to offer. Now first, as you may be able to figure out from the title of this episode, the schedule has shifted around a little bit. Because I'm working with a number of guests this season, you can expect that things might move around from time to time, either because of my schedule or because of theirs. And so with that being said, today I'll be welcoming Thomas Salerno to the show as we discuss Leaf by Niggle, among other things. Now I know this may be a surprise to you, and so if you haven't read the story yet, I'd encourage you to hit pause and go ahead and do so now before moving forward, so you can get Get the most out of it, uh, both the most out of the story as well as out of this podcast. It is short, and so even if you uh, don't own a copy of Tales from the Perilous Realm, which I would recommend that you do, you can actually find this story, at least by Niggle online, with a quick Google search. So go ahead and read it and then come back. All right, so uh, as I said, uh, today I'm welcoming uh, Thomas Salerno to the show. Now, Thomas is an author, he's an essayist, podcaster, and a freelance editor. Uh, he has a BA in anthropology from Stony Brook University and has been working as a professional writer since 2020. His essays and articles are largely focused on exploring sci-fi and fantasy literature and film from a Catholic perspective. He's contributed chapters for two anthologies published by Voyage Comics, Tolkien and Faith in 2021 and The Christ Bearer, coming out in 2023. And he plans to self-publish his own essay collection in the near future. Thomas is the creator and host of the Perilous Realms podcast, where he continues his search for the good, the true, and the beautiful in fantasy and science fiction. You can follow his work on his website, thomasjsalernowrites.com, and his newsletter, thomasjsalerno.substack.com. 
And I hope you enjoyed this conversation uh, even a fraction as much as I have. All right, Thomas, uh, thank you so much for coming on as my first guest on Mythic Mind. Thanks, Andrew. It's it's a blast to be on this show. I, I love talking to other um, Tolkien aficionados. Mm -hmm. It's one of my favorite things to do, as <laughs> as we were kind of discussing before we got recording. Yeah, absolutely. And now, Tolkien aficionado is a term that man, I, I almost feel uncomfortable applying to myself because <laughs> I, I, I once heard it said that, uh, you know, everyone kind of has Tolkien imposter syndrome where whenever you're talking about Tolkien publicly, you always feel like there's, you know, somebody making fun of you in Quenya somewhere. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, so let's start off kind of, you know, broadly. Uh, tell me about some of the you know, major projects you're currently working on. Oh, yeah. Um, in in fact, there I, I should mention that um, because I, I, I don't think I actually put this in the bio that I sent you, mm -hmm. which is that... Um, a friend and I, um, my friend Jake Dobrins, who's the president of Theophany Media, we actually recently launched a new substack called Uncharted Faith, which is at unchartedfaith.substack.com, which is all about Christian speculative fiction. So we're posting our own uh, short stories on this platform because both of us have a real passion to want to write more short stories in 2023 so we're like well what's a way we can make ourselves accountable mm -hmm. well let's set up a sub stack and then we'll we'll be forced to do it but but no yeah i i i i love fiction i love reading fiction and i have this desire to write more fiction especially this year so that's that that's definitely one thing mm -hmm. that i've been working on um also i'm trying to put together um an essay collection that i hope to self-publish in the not too distant future. Um, I've written a lot of articles and essays online over the past few years about fantasy and science fiction and comic books, looking at them from a Christian perspective. And I'd really like to collect a lot of my best work and put it out there in a single volume. Because, you know, it's often difficult when you're trying to, when, when you tell people you're a writer, one of the first things they ask is, where can I read your work? And if it's scattered mm -hmm. all over the place, it's difficult to tell people. <laughs> I want to be able to tell, tell people, just buy my book and give them the link to my book. So that's that's uh, another one of the projects that I'm working on this year. But I'm always busy. I'm writing and podcasting a lot. Um, I have been since, because uh, I, I started as a professional writer in 2020, right as the pandemic hit. <laughs> it, it was kind of my, my fallback thing after, um, after I, my, other career was kind of torpedoed mm -hmm. by COVID, like a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Right. But yeah, no, I, I I love doing this. I love being able to just express myself creatively as a job. And it's I I, I hope that this year we'll we'll see a lot of growth in that mm -hmm. area. Yeah, fantastic. And I definitely sympathize with the question of uh, you know, where can I find you? And at this point, my answer is I don't know, the internet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So obviously there's some common threads through all of what you do. You know, you're mostly dealing in the, the world of fiction at this point, right? Right. Yeah. Which is very different from my previous career because I was actually in museum science. I studied anthropology in college and I worked in museums in anthropology and paleontology. So in, in the natural sciences area, which I still have a, a, a big passion for. And I hope to incorporate that passion into my fiction someday but yeah but i've also i've been a, a fan of comic books and science fiction for pretty much as long as i can remember and i actually only got into fantasy really with tolkien when mm. i was 13 and i first read the lord of the rings because when, when i was 13 the peter jackson movies were just starting to come out and it it it's funny. I like telling this story because I was I'm one of the few people in my generation who didn't take to Harry Potter right away. Like I've 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 got nothing against it. It's just that for whatever reason it didn't really work for me. And like I was recommended, well, what? Why don't you read Lord of the Rings? And I was like, oh, Wizards again? I I don't really know about that. But no, I I I read an article about the Lord of the Rings and about its kind of Christian symbolism a magazine article and for the life of me i can't remember which magazine or where this was but it got me interested 
And so I went out to my nearest bookstore, Borders, when it existed, and I bought paperback copies of the trilogy and devoured them. And I was just like, this is like the Lord of the Rings changed my life. Like mm -hmm. it really just opened a whole new vista of what you could do with fiction, you know, like that, that I hadn't even thought of before. I had always dabbled in writing as a kid, but I never really realized, you know, the kind of just deep and profound, you know, stories that, that, that were possible to tell with fiction. You know, I had just kind of read, you know, mostly superficial kind of stories before that. And the Lord of the Rings just changed my whole outlook on that. Um, it's a little bit dangerous because like all of us writers, like, especially in fantasy have a tendency to want to imitate our hero. But, um, but yeah, I, I definitely say that I, I owe a lot to Tolkien. I probably would not be the writer that I am today without him. Yeah, I can absolutely sympathize with that. I mean, it, it's hard to encounter Tolkien and come back the same, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, I guess that's always what happens when you enter the perilous realm, which is something that we'll be talking yes. a bit about. Uh, but even before we get there, uh, like I said, I can definitely sympathize with the, the life-changing impact of Tolkien. It's it's not like you're just reading a story. It's like you're entering into uh, a different plane of reality almost. Yeah. Which, and I think that's how exactly how Tolkien describes it, right? He, he's not creating, he's, he's sub-creating something true. Um, yeah, absolutely. Now, unfortunately, you know, I didn't discover this when I was 13. I discovered this when I was like 30. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm, you know, I'm still pretty new to this game, but I just kind of went all in as soon as I started. Yeah, th um, that's amazing. I, I would love to discover it all over again. You know, that's just, yeah, that it, you can really discover Tolkien at any age. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's just so broadly applicable across age groups and cultures, languages, religions. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's just such a, a it, like you said, he, he's tapping into something true, right? Mm -hmm. So I just, it, it has this kind of universal appeal that, you know, very few there, there there's a few great stories which have that kind of universal appeal mm -hmm. tolkien's legendarium is definitely one of them yeah I mean, there's a reason why the great you know poets of, of antiquity uh you know your your homer or whoever you know they were counted as prophets right because right, yeah. there was there was something powerful and almost world shaping in their writing and you know i recently started reading the, the carpenter biography of tolkien oh uh, okay yeah which had really been illuminating you know, seeing just how ingrained he was in, you know, these great world shaping stories of, of the past, even of the pagan world. And I feel like he was able to tap into something true there, but then sort of kind of baptize it, yes. even if not intentionally. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. In fact, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because like that kind of goes back to what, what I'm what I'm titling my essay collection is baptizing the new mythology. Oh, wow. <laughs> because science fiction, fantasy, comic books are like the new mythology. Mm -hmm. And we can find ways to baptize them by looking at them mm -hmm. through a Christian lens. Mm -hmm. Just like Tolkien baptized his beloved Norse mythology by taking what was good and true and beautiful in mm -hmm. it and raising it up to just a higher pitch, a higher plane, you know. And it, that that's just what I find fascinating about one of one of the many things I find fascinating mm -hmm. about his world it's just that he was able to take that, you know, because I've actually read a little bit of Norse mythology. It is very mm -hmm. depressing, you know. Like, when... I mean, yeah, and, and you know, ultimately, in the end, in, in the Norse mythos, the good guys lose, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is, I think, one thing that makes Tolkien so magnificent—the whole idea of the long defeat, right? He he right, takes that. Yeah. He takes that you know, largely from the you know, the, the Northern Germans. And he says, yeah, they were actually right in that you know, light is dwindling from this world. But what makes the, the Christian turn is that there's this eucatastrophe at the end that kind of brings everything around. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I was recently thinking about the fact that um, the, you know, the battle of Helm's Deep is a good picture of this. In oh, that yeah. The, uh, you know, the idea of the, the noble men fighting against the, you know, the monsters until, you know, the last one falls, right? That right there is the German, the Germanic tale. What makes it a Christian tale is that Gandalf comes with the morning light. Yep. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and the fact, I, I think he, that was on purpose because the fact that the Rohirrim are essentially his stand-ins for the Norse figures, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think he, he wanted to craft Helm's Deep as kind of his sort of commentary, his, his answer to what, what a classic Norse mm-hmm. tale would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. So kind of, more broadly, we've kind of already touched on this, but why are you so interested in this intersection between you know, fiction or, or myth and the Christian faith? What What is the connection there? I think, well, I think part of it is definitely because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm what's called a cradle Catholic. You know, I was, I was baptized into the faith as an infant raised in the church. And I've always had a very strong sense of Catholic identity but at the same time, I've also had a lifelong identity as kind of a nerd. You know, I was in two comic books and science fiction before that became kind of mainstream, you know, with the Marvel movies and the mm-hmm. newer Star Wars films, how all, all that all that stuff is mainstream now. But, you know, I, I still have a memory of a time where it was not really cool to be into that kind of stuff <laughs> and and to always be carrying around a notebook at school where you scribbled in your 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 story ideas into it. So it's like I've I've always wanted there to be a way to kind of fuse my two mm-hmm. great interests, you know, or two you know, mm-hmm. uh, my, my two identities as like a, a, a person who is into this kind of fiction, who's constantly reading and and my love of reading and literature and and my faith and and luckily you know i i was able to find a way to do that through writing you know through you know writing essays and articles mm-hmm. and stuff like that and i but i also think that i've i've been interested since i was a teenager when i saw there, there was this documentary, and I can't remember which channel it was on, but it, it was a documentary about Star Wars, and they it talked about the monomyth. You know how George Lucas was very interested in Campbell's idea of the monomyth, mm-hmm. and you know how kind of all the great stories of the world are kind of telling the same few archetypal stories over and mm-hmm. over again. And I eventually saw, um, I, I was in Washington D.C. when they had an exhibit based on these ideas at the Smithsonian. And I actually have the book based on that exhibit. I think it's called Star Wars, The Magic of Myth. And they talked more about the monomyth and stuff like that. And that got me interested in mythology as applied to modern storytelling. Mm -hmm. What can modern storytelling learn from the way stories have been told for thousands of years Mm -hmm through myths. And when I learned that Tolkien and C.S. Lewis were also interested in that, I became even more fascinated with this idea. And you know how like Lewis calls, you know, the gospels, the true myth, Mm -hmm. you know, that they, they, they are myth that he didn't like this idea that myth means lie or untruth where no, it's exactly the opposite. A myth is, is telling profound spiritual and moral truths it's just that the gospels and the, the entire scriptures just happen to be true, you know, <laughs> that they are the true myths, but that doesn't invalidate the, the, the meaning and importance of the other global mythologies and folklores. I think that there's, there's always something that can be taught, you know, especially because in, in the patristic period, the fathers talked about the seeds of the gospel mm-hmm. and how the seeds of the gospel, the seeds of the word can be found even in secular, what then were considered secular mythologies, you know, and I've, I've just been fascinated with that idea and in using, in both commenting on this in my nonfiction writing and incorporating these ideas into the kind of fiction I want to write. Yeah, I think that's fantastic and really well said, it, you know, to, to your point about the church fathers, you know, obviously Justin Martyr is perhaps most well-known for this idea that the seeds of the Logos, you know, being spread through human existence and, right. you know, right. And then naturally, you know, that sort of rises up in the pagan myths, which ultimately uh, are a reflection of the, the true myth, right? The, the true myth right. of the gospel. And so in that sense, um, you know, all truth, wherever it's to be found, ultimately has its source and conclusion in God. Um, so right. every, every good it's story. fulfillment or, in Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's fantastic. Now, 
moving towards kind of our overlapping work right now, um, it just so happens that we're both starting podcast series on Tolkien's Tales from the Perilous Realm. Yes. Yes. So obviously it fits into the broader scope of what we've been talking about, but why in particular did you pick this collection of, of his short stories? Um, I actually picked it because of um, he, he includes as an appendix his essay on fairy stories. And there's actually a quote from On Fairy Stories, which is one of my favorite Tolkien quotes ever in anything he's done. And he talks about the realm of fairy story as the perilous realm, he calls it. And he has this great description of like the ideal fairy story. And I just want to read that briefly mm -hmm. because it's so beautiful. He says, quote, the realm of fairy story is wide and deep and high and filled with many things. All manner of beasts and birds are found there, shoreless seas and stars uncounted, beauty that is an enchantment and an ever-present peril, both joy and sorrow as sharp as swords, unquote. And that's just beautiful. I, I don't know what it is about that passage, but I'm like, that's it. That's the truth. You know, that that's what I want. That's what I want out of a good fairy story, out of a good piece of fantastical fiction. That's what I want. Like if I couldn't encapsulate any better the kind of stories that I'm into better than mm -hmm. that. And I'm just and I, I think a lot of the the tales that are included in Tales to the Perilous Realm reflect that quote. And so I thought it would just be a great place to start you know, mm -hmm. a podcast that is talking about these sort of themes in fantastic fiction. I, I just thought it would be a good book as a jumping off point mm -hmm. to discuss other things later. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Well said. Now, you kind of just mentioned this, that, you know, he, he connects the idea of fairy to the perilous realm. Right. Now, in your understanding, what is the perilous realm? Well, I think, uh, and kind of jumping back to that quote i i i think the perilous realm is where that sort of joy and sorrow meet what he said and and this this comes up several times in the lord of the rings especially in return of the king um if you remember the the sequence from the field of cormarlin where frodo and sam are being you know, praised by the, the the whole army and Aragorn and stuff like that. And um, what is it? The minstrel comes out to sing the, the lay of Frodo of the Nine Fingers <laughs> and the Ring of Doom. And there's this great line where by the end of the story, everyone's in tears. And it says that tears are the very wine of blessedness. Mm. that they're not tears of sorrow they're 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 tears of joy but of sorrow and joy mingled and that this that this is somehow like what all these stories leads to that that's that that's where it needs to bring you in the end and i feel like the the stories that have most moved me end that way you know they they, they all end that way and i okay mm. i i admit that i'm kind of I'm a sensitive guy to begin with, and I'll, I'll I'll cry watching a movie. I admit it, but I mean, but I mean, the ones that most move me have that kind, you know, take you through that whole um, emotional journey of you catastrophe. And I think that that's where the perilous realm is to be found in that kind of meeting of sorrow and joy that points towards that the perilous realm points towards a world beyond the physical you know what mm. we can see and measure and mm. kind of brings our mind to think about transcendent things i think that's an important mm -hmm. point too i don't know if any of that made sense but it's, it's... <laughs> no, i think it did and first of all i like to say that i absolutely agree one of the things i most love about tolkien is the way he joins joy and sorrow and we mm -hmm. see this so many times throughout his legendarium uh, one of my all-time favorite quotes from tolkien comes from the silmarillion in uh, talking about uh, Olmo in the, um, uh, I, th I think it's in the Quintus Silmarillion, uh, he says something like, uh, "If if joyful is the fountain that rises in the sun, its wells or its roots are in the 
wells of sorrow unfathomed at the foundations of the earth. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's absolutely beautiful. The idea that sorrow and joy are linked together. And of course, you know, this is ultimately rooted in uh, Tolkien's Christian conviction that, you know, the world tree, so to speak, that holds everything together is the cross of Christ. Right. Yeah. And that that what seems on the surface to be kind of the ultimate tragedy, you know, the, the death of God, you know, is this source of everlasting joy for all Christians. For all mm-hmm. who believe in him. So yeah, I, I definitely it it it's so interesting with that. So like when I was in college, you know, a lot of my friends were atheists or agnostic. I even had some neo-pagan friends, and they all loved Lord of the Rings. And I found Lord of the Rings to just be a very effective entrance point to Christianity. Cause I could say to people, Well, you know, he's coming at this from like a Christian worldview, and they'd be like, What? <laughs> <laughs> and so it just enabled a way to dialogue with people, mm-hmm. you know, and he 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 did not write his legendarium to be a tool of evangelization, really, or as an apologetics tool. But it is, I, I find, just an, an, an interesting way to talk to people, you know, who may be otherwise interested mm-hmm. in this kind of fantasy and science fiction literature as kind of a way to, to in, introduce the fact that, like, you know, Christianity, our faith is 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 not opposed to this, is not opposed to the world or popular culture. It wants to raise it up to a higher pitch. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. Yeah. And I think that right there says something about the perilous realm. Like you alluded to, it's it's something about the intersection between the the transcendent and the worldly. Right. right? Yeah. It, it's where we kind of enter into this um greater um Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. More mysterious and potentially overwhelming kind of realm of being. It's the something right. that breaks us out of the mundane. And like he says, all, all creatures that can be found in the real world can also be found in the perilous realm. But they're at a higher pitch. Mm-hmm. You know, stars, the moon, the sun, animals, birds, you know, water and stone. Ev- everything that's part of the physical world is also part of fairy, but it's almost more real in a right. sense. All tales may come true. Yes. But, yeah. <laughs> right. But like and unlike, uh, I can't remember the exact quote, but yeah. Yes. What you're yeah. Saying. Yeah, Definitely. absolutely. Well, that kind of brings us to our main topic of tonight, Leaf by Niggle. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that segues very well <laughs> into that story. Yeah. So perhaps broadly speaking, before we might get into some of the specifics, you know, you, you said that of all the stories, this is, you know, what you wanted to talk about uh, on this show. Why is Leaf by Niggle so important to you? Or what's it mean to you? Or however you want to take that. Yeah, it's interesting. I first heard about this story when I I went to a lecture. This was years ago. I think I was still in college at this point. I went to a lecture at a nearby seminary that was being done by a, a priest in our diocese who was also a Tolkien fan. And he he read several passages to us. He read the the Ainulindale from the Silmarillion, mm. which just blew me away mm. and made me want to read the Silmarillion right away. But then he also read Leaf by Niggle to us or passages from it. And it was just one of the most moving stories I ever heard. Like, luckily, we were all given, like, pamphlets, which had, you know, the the story written out. So I took it home. I read it. And I'm like, this is one of the most moving, like, portraits of an artist that I've ever read. And having an an, an artistic bent myself, it it, it really spoke to me. I I find a lot to relate to in Nagel. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners do as well. But yeah, it 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 just really speaks to me. It 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 speaks to that kind of um that kind of sorrow that like maybe you'll never finish the great work 
that you kind of have planned mm -hmm. in your head, but also coming to accept that that might be okay if you never finish it, mm -hmm. you know, and it, yeah, it, it, it just always makes me think whenever I get anxious about that stuff as a creative person, I like to return to Leaf by Nickel because it's always a tonic, I mm -hmm. feel, for those kind of feelings of imposter syndrome or creative anxiety and stuff like that. Yeah, and I definitely am drawn to it for, for similar reasons. I mean, you know, people, I guess all people, whether you're, you know, driven towards, you know, industry in the marketplace or creative endeavors, right? It, it's easy to kind of set your ambition beyond your mortality and have that become a frustration. Yeah. Mm -hmm, right, yeah. exactly, yeah. <laughs> that you want to be remembered for something you want to be remembered for for doing this great work and and have a, a legacy that survives and like it can cause this kind of existential dread you know to mm -hmm. and it's and that that's not healthy and yeah and like you know leaf by niggle is 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 a good kind of meditation on memento mori you know mm -hmm. remember you will die but that we don't have to despair because as you said you know all tales come true and you know our our work in this life is going to be raised to a higher pitch in the next life just like what happens with niggle and his neighbor mr parish yeah and so let's just kind of walk through that story a little bit mm -hmm. um and leaf by niggle is certainly a, a unique story in that out of everything tolkien wrote it's probably the closest we get to allegory <laughs> Yes, yeah, or autobiographical. <laughs> right, or autobiographical, because um, didn't he write this while he was trying to write Lord of the Rings? Wasn't I think it was, wasn't published between The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings originally? Oh, that's a good question. I don't actually I believe, know. I believe I almost, that's true. Yeah, I almost thought, I, I saw kind of like two illusions to him writing The Silmarillion in there yeah too. that too because I mean, obviously the, the, yeah the tree putting out all these branches and every story he writes gets incorporated into it mm. like i i saw the tree as kind of being lord of the rings but also being an allegory for the legendarium itself because it's always right. absorbing all of niggle's <laughs> other pictures and i can really identify with that because whenever i try to write a story that's independent of everything else i've wrote it always ends up getting sucked into some other universe that I've created. And I'm like, no, I didn't want that. But it's like, you know, you just have to go where the story takes you. Right. And then you start to, you know, as Tolkien talks about many times, you know, discovering your own story, essentially. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. So, so in the story, um, we, and unfortunately I didn't reread it for this, but um, so Niggle is, you know, working on this, this painting and you know his neighbor, you know Parrish is constantly asking for favors for him to you know do this or that. Him. Yeah, inter I love him. that because that that is me. Where it's just like I'm like oh I'm always being interrupted, you know <laughs> like I'm, I'm I'm trying to write and people keep interrupting me with things to do and it's just like that it's so relatable and it's so and since you can tell this is very autobiographical, it it's just very comforting to know that oh Tolkien had these kind of personality quirks too, you know, or it's like it, as, as creative people, we often feel put upon by other people coming to us and quote, interrupting our work. But yeah, I, I like, I like that Niggle's not, Niggle reminds me a little bit of Bilbo in a way. I don't know if you caught that where like, he's very fussy and he's very, you know, like Bilbo in the beginning of The Hobbit. He's very fussy. He doesn't like unexpected things. He doesn't like people intruding on his time. So, yeah, he's he's trying to, to, to paint this tree in what's, I think, meant to be like a wall-sized canvas. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, his neighbor keeps interrupting him. We, he wants to help him fix his roof. He says his <laughs> wife is ill, but, and it, like, kind of intimates that she's very very ill but she actually just has a cold and things <laughs> right. just and, and th but things just go south for poor niggle from there and also he's he's supposed to go on some kind of mysterious journey but he keeps putting it off and he's like oh i'll definitely finish this thing in time for that 
And of course that I think is supposed to be an allegory for kind of memento mori, you know, mm -hmm. death is coming, you know. Right. And then, uh, so he's so preoccupied with, you know, his, his painting and, you know, he's not even interested so much in painting the tree. His focus is, I need to paint these leaves. Right. right yeah. <laughs> so he's like down in, in the little gritty details um, as it's, you know, slowly building into this, this great tree. And, you know, there's a, a forest in the background and all these things sort of coming together through his hyper-focus on the details, but it's just never being completed. Um, yep. And and so, you know, then there's some bad rain and, um, you know, the, the houses are falling apart. And, and finally, the, you know, inspector comes to <laughs> Niggle and says, oh, but there is some wooden canvas. For, oh, for yeah. He's like, right. Yeah. There's plenty and, of stuff to repair the house here with this material. And he's like, right. what? But he doesn't even have time to worry about it because he's immediately bundled off to like, oh, your journey begins now. And he's just like, what? You know, <laughs> right and so the the driver shows up and says all right nickel let's go and then uh the uh the uh inspector says all right well then you definitely don't need this uh wooden canvas now yeah and i i like how the 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 driver is dressed in black like an undertaker mm -hmm. which was uh, again you know a, a very nice touch like right right very clear indication to the reader what's happening yeah and how like you know when when he gets on the train the train immediately goes through a tunnel and I'm mm -hmm. like, ah, okay. <laughs> right. So the, the next scene, he gets off the train and I believe he kind of passes out and wakes up in the <laughs> yeah, hospital. Yeah, he passes <laughs> out on the platform when they're like, you you must go, what, no luggage? You must go to the workhouse. And then he immediately falls over. <laughs> <laughs> right. So so he goes to this you know hospital workhouse where he's you know put to work, I think we're told for centuries. Yeah. Or it's implied that it's centuries, yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, basically, the idea is kind of time almost becomes irrelevant for right. some span. Now, Very much a, a purgatory kind of place or limbo. Mm -hmm. Right. Where now he's, you know, he spent his life kind of avoiding, avoiding the practical things. And now that's all he's doing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. He's like, he he's painting boards. They said he, he's doing basic carpentry, breaking rocks, like doing just, you know, mundane kind of tedious physical work. Right. So it's, it's almost like his, you know, punishment in, in this, you know, purgatorial sentence is to do all the things he's been putting off. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so, you know, eventually he's let off for good behavior, <laughs> you know, works his sentence. Um and, and so then he goes on another train, right, to this, you know, next location mm -hmm. where, of course, what does he find? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, he finds his tree. He finds but his if, tree. If, if I can backtrack for a second. Yeah, of course. When he's let off, I've, I found the two voices very oh, interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure what to make of them. I have a theory, but I don't know if it's what Tolkien intended. Because there's the one voice who's kind of like more harsh on mm -hmm. Niggle, and there's the second voice who's kind of his advocate, and they have this dialogue. And I almost wonder, is, is the first voice the Father, God the Father, and the second voice Christ, where Christ is the advocate, and he's pointing out all of Niggle's good mm -hmm. points, all the things he has in his favor. And and the first voice says, well, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's your job to handle these cases. You know, so whatever you think is best. And I, I just... The, the interplay between the two mm -hmm. voices, I was like, oh, is, is, this, is this supposed to be where we're like a kind of Trinitarian? There, there's not mm -hmm. a third voice at all. But I, I just thought like maybe maybe that's what Tolkien was mm -hmm. getting at there. Yeah, it, it's certainly possible. I don't have a better theory, so <laughs> we'll let that stand. <laughs> but yeah, he, he, he goes to this kind of green area. He's, he's let off on this train and he finds his tree, but in real life. And it's mm -hmm. more real than he could ever have imagined it. You know, and he, he's just bowled over by this realization that the, mm -hmm. the tree is real. And also everything in the background mm -hmm. in the painting is real. The forest, the mountains. And he encounters, of all people, Mr. Parrish is mm -hmm. there. <laughs> And they have this kind of this reconciliation where they both use the the their talents, the things that they're good at, mm -hmm. 
to make this little area based on Niggle's painting even better. They build a house together. Like, I think they said, like, um, uh, Parrish is good at gardening. Mm -hmm. So he kind of take care, takes care of all of the plants in the area. While, like you said, Niggle is still the details man. <laughs> he kind of plans mm -hmm. everything out. Right. And we even find that even before they even start doing work, we see that the the tree and the landscape he made, um, you know, as you said, it's even better than what he had painted. And it's like some of his intentions were already realized when he got there. Right. Yeah. Things he had had planned on originally, but it mm -hmm. never had time, you know, or were only kind of half baked mm -hmm. during his previous existence are kind of brought to fulfillment. Right. And what do you, what do you make of the fact that, um, you know, now they're working and cultivating it and make it even better in this kind of plane of existence. Like what is happening exactly in this scene? Do you have any understanding there? Well, it's, it, it, it's interesting. I, I can't remember where I read this, but there's this idea that Niggle represents like just a Christian, you know, he mm -hmm. represents a Christian believer and parish that that name is significant, that parish is the church in a way. And it kind of represents the relationship between the individual believer and the church. And when they work together, they're able to cultivate, you know, hmm. essentially the, you know, the, the build up the kingdom of God mm -hmm. essentially together. And so there's this idea, whereas like before, you know, Parish and Niggle really didn't understand each other. You know, they were sometimes at loggerheads, you know, they, they definitely didn't understand one another. They, mm -hmm. they made that clear where it's like, you know, Parrish didn't know what to make of Niggle's painting and Niggle didn't want anything to do with what Parrish was interested in. But, you know, they, they find this kind of union when they unite their strengths, you know, it, it's almost like uniting, you know, the, the individual contributions mm -hmm with the kind of collective power of the church as, as the body of Christ, mm -hmm. where we're all connected and, and, you know, able to, uh, where we, we can do more together than we can. It's just mm -hmm. the individual. So yeah, I, I think, I, I think lot, that might mm -hmm. be part of what's going on mm -hmm. here. Yeah. I think there's a lot to that, that, you know, obviously before the journey, they, they had a very broken relationship. It wasn't functional. Right. Um, whereas now I think that's so much, part of this scene seeing that relationship redeemed you know, not only is um you know niggles creativity redeemed in the reality of the tree but so too their relationship is redeemed it's made into what it always was meant to be right uh, what it should have been yes exactly right and you know they they after they finish uh, cultivating this whole area uh, they encounter the shepherd which ah uh, uh, yeah. for all the flack he gave uh Lewis on on Aslan. Aslan. I mean, <laughs> no, we literally have a shepherd walking up to bring him to the next area. Yes, but, yeah. Uh, but anyways, so the shepherd, you know, really points out, as you were saying, that you know they both have something to offer each other, right? Parish is the one who's more practically and kind of earthly minded. You mm -hmm. know, he's literally he's a he's a gardener, as you said. Right. He's more earthly minded, whereas. Um, you know, Niggle is the creative one, the one who appreciates beauty. And so while Niggle couldn't be bothered with the, the earthly, um, you know, Parrish couldn't see the beauty of what Niggle was doing. No, yeah, it just it said like all he saw was lines and shapes and colors, but he couldn't perceive the whole of Niggle's painting. Right. And in that, you know, realization, um, you know, Niggle even comes to defend Parrish at that point, basically says, well, I could have done a better job of sharing what I was doing with him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like that they they both kind of, you know, make confession almost mm -hmm. of their previous faults, but that, you know, but, but at the same time, recognizing that, you know, in this new existence, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter as much, you know, and, mm -hmm. and that despite those they've, they they they've come to this place where they can both live to like the the fullest potential. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so once they you know learn what they need to learn, essentially, you know, Niggle then goes off with the shepherd 
I believe like basically outside the painting, right? Beyond the mountains. Yeah, he 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 goes to the mountains and how he said like the, they 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 say that like the ground is always rising like this. Mm -hmm. It almost reminded me like the, a lot of this imagery reminded me of uh, C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce too because i i think in that i think there were also mountains in that depiction mm -hmm. of heaven I, I can't remember but a lot of this imagery was reminding me of that it was very eerily similar right and, and of course that imagery you know we can see throughout the scripture and tolkien's legendarium mm -hmm. right i mean you know biblically speaking you know moses goes up on the mountain we've got yes. the, the mount zion um you know we've we've got in tolkien's legendarium think back to the you know the numenorean religion right they go up the mountain yeah the holy <laughs> exactly mountain. right um it, and so obviously that's what's going on here right he's going into paradise essentially yes yeah he's climbing the mountain of the lord essentially right but then uh parish uh, stays behind for a while <laughs> right he's he's waiting for his wife I think mm -hmm. he says, yeah, because right. they, they, they built that house for them where she's going to convalesce before they, they move on. <laughs> right. So he wants to, to be there to, to meet her and to kind of catch her before they, they go off. Um, and then there's the, the area, which, you know, that area they've been working in was, you know, previously unnamed and now it gets a name. <laughs> yeah. N Niggles Parish. Which right brilliant yeah <laughs> which again kind of hits the, the head on the nose on on some of the things we've been talking about about their relationship right yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so oh and then we kind of get an epilogue right we, we go back to the oh back right. to earth <laughs> yeah we go back to earth and there's like this weird scene with like there's the sort of town official who's very mm -hmm. utilitarian and is like mm -hmm. that that niggle wasn't good for anything no practical or economic <laughs> use he says and the and meanwhile there's like this other person i think he's a school teacher who mm -hmm. calls him a poor little man he never finished anything <laughs> and who he he saves one leaf from nickel's mm -hmm. painting he saves it and actually puts it in the local museum but then oddly mm -hmm. the, there's this coda where it's like oh and the museum burned down later <laughs> so none of nickel's work was actually left to posterity which but I, I love that. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's kind of that reminder is like to dust, you shall return, guys. <laughs> Nothing is 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 going to last, you know, like. Right. And so there's this uh, what looks like it's going to be this concluding sentiment that, OK, there's some beauty that he created that's going to endure in this world. Nope. Then it nope. burns down. Nope. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, you know, uh, uh, what what is it that, that people often say? Well, you know, four billion years from now, the sun will expand and the earth will be a charred out cinder and nothing that we've created will endure at all. And it's like, <laughs> well, yeah, not here, mm -hmm. not in this world. But if you believe in a transcendent reality, like like you said, like, you know, um, as as Nigel and Parrish's relationship is redeemed all their creativity and talents are redeemed. So we have this belief that that all of our, our sort of dreams and desires and aspirations will be redeemed in the, in, in the next life. We, you know, uh, what is the eye is not seen and ear is not heard what mm -hmm. God has prepared for those who love him, you know? So I, I it, that's, that's really just a great, thing to hold on to and it's one of the reasons why i love this story so much and i love going back to it absolutely i mean it's just so easy to get frustrated by your own mortality yes yeah and then it, it can lead us on one hand to try to essentially hide from our mortality through being overly industrious and creative feeling i have to do everything all the time oh yeah or, definitely yeah and then of course alternatively we can see our mortality and then ask what's the point in my little story um, mm -hmm. but you know, what Niggle shows us is that, you know, our creative works do matter so long as they are kind of anchored to eternity yes. in the, the chain of truth, goodness, and beauty, right? That's what makes our works themselves actually eternal. Right. Yeah. That when, when, when they're tapping into that source, mm -hmm. you know, what, because good truth, goodness, truth, and beauty are transcendent realities. You know, they're, 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 they're transcendental realities. So when we tap into those, you know, we, we kind of leave our mark on that realm 
almost mm-hmm. on the perilous realm, you could say. <laughs> right, exactly. And so it it doesn't matter that will be forgotten because ultimately we're our our at least our good endeavors are forever remembered, so to speak, in the mind of God, which is something that we right. you know participate in as, as Christians. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, give it. Any other thoughts or, or points about any of this that you want to bring up before we start to kind of wrap things up? Um, just that, yeah, I'd I'd, I'd encourage everybody to to read Levi Nickel. It's just it it's very different from mm-hmm. a lot of Tolkien's other work, but I feel in 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 a way that that makes it really special. Mm-hmm. And especially if if you're an artist or a writer mm-hmm. and you have a creative bent. I think you'll find a lot of comfort in this story. I certainly do. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's like I said, it's definitely something a uh, tale that I return to over mm-hmm. and over. And I, I definitely will be in the future. It was really fun to yeah. revisit it for this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I'm kind of, um, you know, moving this to the front of, of my series. You know, I'm starting off with On Fairy Stories and Leaf by Niggle because I feel like both really set up Tolkien's creative philosophy right I I did the the same thing I I started with on fairy stories Mm -hmm. because I'm like that kind of sets up like you said it it lays the philosophical groundwork for everything that Mm -hmm. comes later yeah absolutely all right well I feel like we've covered a lot of ground today um I really enjoyed it you know I'd love to do more collaborations at some point in the future oh absolutely this was a lot of fun and then of course um remind us where we can find you yeah, so you can uh, you can follow me at my website, thomasjsalernowrites.com. Also, I have my own personal substack, uh, which is called Page Turning, at uh, thomasjsalerno.substack.com. And also, like I said at the top, um, my friend Jake and I have launched our new podcast, our new uh, substack, rather, unchartedfaith.substack.com, where we hope to post a lot of really cool short stories in the future. All right. Fantastic. Uh, Well, thanks again. And I will uh, talk to you again soon. Thank you so much, Andrew. This is great. Absolutely. And again, I hope that you enjoyed this conversation. And if you did, be sure to subscribe, share this episode, leave me a five-star review wherever you can so that way more people can find us, and support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Snyder. Now next time, Lord willing, I will be joined by John Carswell as we discuss Tolkien's essay on fairy stories, which is found in the appendix of Tales from the Perilous Realm. And until next time, I wish you many meaningful trails ahead. <laughs>